0: It's Tuesday, May twenty first. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in the studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Pro and Motley Fool Options, Jeff Fisher. Good to see you guys. Thanks for hey, being here. Good afternoon. Uh, we we got a lot of retail earnings. We are going to get to. We are going to dip into the full mailbag. Is it still the full mailbag? If it's Twitter, maybe not. We're going to go to the Twitterverse uh, to answer a listener question. Yeah, we're all about social networking. Exactly. It's, it's beyond mail. It it absolutely is beyond mail. Uh But. um Uh, Before we get into that, it was uh, on this day in 1881 that Clara Barton founded the American Red Cross, which is appropriate uh, because today is one of those days where we really need the American Red Cross, uh, for those who uh, probably have heard. uh, But if not, um, in Moore, Oklahoma, which is a suburb just south of Oklahoma City, uh, one of the deadliest tornadoes in U.S. history touched down yesterday. There are dozens of people dead. We don't have the exact count. I think that uh, the, the the death toll is is still being figured out, which I think only speaks to the chaos uh, that's uh, that's happening in Oklahoma. But needless to say, our our thoughts are are with the victims uh, and their families. Uh, and that they, uh, just have the strength to, to get through the next few weeks and months, uh, as the, uh, repair work continues. And, uh, you know what? If you have the chance, uh, to, to donate some money to the American Red Cross or to the relief organizations, um, This is one of those times when they really need it. Uh, With that said, uh, let us move on to some of the earnings of the day. Home Depot, first quarter earnings came in higher than expected. The same store sales were up more than 4%. They raised guidance, Jeff. uh, It really seems like another very strong quarter for Home Depot. Yeah, they are really getting it done, Chris. And, And the big news
1: today was the pro segment of their business has, for the first time since 2008, grown more quickly than the consumer segment. So, What is the pro segment? Pro segment of are professionals, oh, okay. uh,
2: contractors. People not like us. Exactly. People, people know a whole what, lot smarter. Yeah, they know what they they're know doing.
1: What? <laughs> you and I may go in there and buy mm-hmm. a few nails. These people are going in there and buying some serious equipment. So it's higher margin, bigger projects. And uh, in-home renovations and, and projects, including Kitchen, Arquita Home Depot, and those continue to grow in strength and number as well. So what they're seeing is the housing recovery slowly continue to grow. And that has resulted in shares steadily going higher. The stock now trades at 20 times free cash flow and 12.7 times EBITDA. And this is the highest multiple, Chris, on that measure since 2001. So Home, Home Depot and by a wide margin, too. So when you have results continuing to run stronger than expectations... The stock that feeds the stock and it keeps running higher. Once results stop exceeding expectations, we should expect the valuation on Home Depot to very likely, compress for a good long while.
0: Who is the the CEO? And for for uh, I feel somewhat bad about this, but I can only remember the name of the previous CEO, Bob Nardelli, Nardelli who was <laughs> just a train wreck of a CEO. I mean, Nardelli probably best known for um, doing a bad job with the company and getting an exorbitant pay package as he went out the door. Uh, but it seems like. Uh, his successor has not only done a good job sort of turning the business around, but this – and, and you know, we we talk about uh, culture at different companies, and it seems – Home Depot strikes me as one of those businesses that it's probably easy to think, well, it's not as important. You know, corporate culture is not as important there. But it, I don't know about you guys, but any time I go into a Home Depot, I always feel – well taken care of. I always feel like the staff is is there at the ready to help me out, maybe because I have that dazed look in my eye, like, <laughs> for the love of God, help me, because I don't know what I'm doing.
1: I think it's very important at a, a retailer like this, you need an engaged customer service team and one that's ready and willing to help you. It's very telling. You can always tell, or I can sense, when I walk into a store and people just are not ready or don't really care to help you, and yeah. it makes a big difference. And if I'm not sure what I'm doing, I'll get out of there and I'll go somewhere else. But I agree, Home Depot and and Lowe's has stepped it up to try to get on par with Home Depot. They really serve their customers well, and that's why customers keep coming back. What do you yeah, and think?
2: I think? You know, one of the things I really like about Home Depot in this space is because they're not so dependent on whether it's homeowners or renters. I mean, generally speaking, they just have a lot of things that people who are living in houses or apartments are going to need, uh, you know, whether it's... It's paint or spackle or hammer and nails, or whatever it may be. Uh, but the other thing I think that's really you know we we've touched on the service aspect here, and I think that they are they're not immune to the online threat, but they are less reliant on that online environment because so much of what they do requires that high-touch service. I mean, whether it's – I mean, if you're going to go get paint, for example, I mean, you've got to go in a store to get it mixed right. in most cases. Uh, you know, Generally speaking, you may want to go in and see the different sizes of things, or you may want to see how something might look compared to something else, or you need to go actually have a professional opinion rendered. And, uh, you know, they offer demos and things like that. So I do think that that customer service is, is extremely important, and it's something that – Thankfully, in their line of work, is is uh, you know they're they're a little bit protected, I think, from that online threat as you know, as opposed to some other retailers we will speak of later in this yeah. podcast.
0: Uh, Jeff, shares of Home Depot hitting an all time high today. Does that you know, given everything you said earlier about the stock, it seems like um, your you would you would not be jumping in at this point. I wouldn't.
1: For a retailer, it looks it's priced on the higher end of the spectrum obviously a well-run company. Uh, the CEO, Chris, I had to look it up because even though Joe Megger has talked about him so frequently, I, his name slipped, and I just went through their conference call, but his name slipped my mind. It's Frank Blake. Frank Blake. He has been there since 2002 and CEO since 2007, so he took them through the uh, the downturn. Uh, at this price, I'd be, uh, if I'm a long-term share owner, I, I wouldn't worry about it. I certainly wouldn't sell and pay taxes on it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I'm not anxious to, Buy it at this point, either.
0: Shares of Best Buy are up around fifty percent over the past year, uh, but they are down today after some mixed first quarter results. Earnings came in higher than expected, uh, but sales were actually lower. Jason, it's it's kind of amazing to think of uh, of the Best Buy having the the recent run that it has had because I mean, it, for a while now, it seemed like a company at death's door, um, but it's even with these results being mixed, is this company starting to turn it around a little Maybe. bit? Maybe. I mean, I'd probably put them on death's sidewalk at this point. Maybe
2: they're not at the front <laughs> door, but no. they're kind of in the neighborhood.
0: And I mean, I tell you, I was looking at I like at the, the idea of death having a neighborhood. No, they're not at death's door. They're on the sidewalk. No, they're down Where's the Starbucks? They're I mean, down the block. As long as Starbucks death's on the corner. <laughs> um,
2: I mean, I, I was, so I was, looking at, I was looking at a couple different retailers. You look at, at Best Buy and H.H. Uh, H. H. Gregg and Radio Shack. If you look at these three companies. In the last, you know, year that they've had, I mean, this is a, the rising tide of the market has lifted all three of these boats. And I mean, I'm not going to get out there and tell anyone to buy shares in any of these three companies because I still think they're facing all the headwinds that they've been facing uh, that we've been talking about for the last year. But I think Best Buy has done the best job of the three, at least, in trying to figure out ways to sort of of deal with them. You know, they're selling off their interest in their they sold off their interest in their European operations, and so their big strategy here, Renew Blue, where they have sort of this five point plan to really get things back up and running, a big. Focus on the customer, yep. uh, which I, I think we've all talked about at some at some point, saying that they need to be able to reach their customers and offer something that you can't get elsewhere. Uh, but with that said, I mean they're they're not out. Uh, they're not out of out of out of the woods yet, and I mean, you look at something. I, I found this in, just to be—it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard because they talk about margin pressure, uh, gross margin pressure in particular with them, and that's essentially you know how quickly they can get stuff out the door and what prices they're charging. And so they refer to their gross margin pressure and the gross margin pressure that we can expect over the coming quarters. They call this ongoing investment in price competitiveness. And that's essentially just saying. Hell of a turn of phrase. (laughs) They're getting, you know, it's, it's a very price sensitive uh, market. I mean, we talk about Amazon and and any other uh, retailer out there. And it's, it's, you're trying to find the lowest price or at least, you know, the easiest uh, sort of, of way to get your transaction done at a relatively good price. And so they've got to meet a lot of these low prices out there. And that's what we're seeing is they're becoming less profitable because of this ongoing price competitiveness. And that's what I really, that's right. I really run into, to sort of a wall with them in their brick and mortar stores. Now, with that said, they did actually bring in some, some solid numbers from their online business. Yeah. Uh, about a 7% improvement in their online business. So I applaud that. And I think that's really one of the things that they're going to need to focus on, uh, in the coming quarters. But, uh, yeah, definitely not out of the woods yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jeff, to that point, I mean, in, if, if you concentrate the online sales to the U.S., the, it was up 15%. Mm-hmm. Um, Hubert Jolie, the, the new, relatively new CEO, talked about that. He talked about uh, costs coming down. It seems like uh, some of the numbers are moving in the direction that you would want them to move in.
1: Yeah, and when you look at a company description online, I think it's the Reuters description or somebody's that Best Buy puts out, they put, Best Buy is an online commerce, they put online no, first. No, they not just, yes, Really? They did. I just saw it today. But let's talk about some things that are going well. Yeah, you're right, Chris. They, the company still has good free cash flow, a decent balance sheet. It trades at 4.7 times EBITDA. Remember, I mentioned Home Depot is 12.7 times. Yeah. Big difference there. And it's it's nearly a nine billion dollar company, so they still have a lot of capitalization to play with. And as Jason said, they're getting out of Europe; they're moving to smaller stores. And I actually think they're in the right business. Uh, I know on the show, a lot of times we've said, many of us have said that the tech is just it's a death knell. But I actually think they're in the right business if they can get uh, their customer service to become top top notch. Because many of us are intimidated by technology; we sure. we want to see it first. We want to be told how to use it, which accessories to buy, all of that. So if they can compete on price and offer great customer service, that's going to be a place that people want to go to for their technology. The challenge is how do you keep matching Amazon and other online stores on price and provide great customer service, great delivery? That's the challenge. Can they do it? Because they have to invest in their customer service.
2: Now, I will say, I mean, to, to their credit, I was looking through some ComScore numbers here today. They have a survey. Uh, there's some recent retail uh, numbers that they were looking at. So, uh, based on their research, about 50% of cu- of customers, 50% of consumers today value free shipping as as essentially the most important option when they're looking at uh, their their online retail uh, considerations. And so, you can kind of see where Amazon is going with their their Prime relationship and giving you. It's not free shipping per se, but mm-hmm. it does. Uh, it can be free if you buy enough from them. Uh, The other issue was the tax situation here. Now, we know this is kind of going back and forth. And and ultimately, I think at some point here, you're going to see Amazon collecting sales tax uh, from from consumers and how important that was to consumers. And, And it sounded like that a little more than half said that charging sales tax would make them less likely to purchase something online 25% 25% of them said it wouldn't affect them at all. But, you know, I think that that's something where, you know, we talk about this a lot and, and wondering is the sales tax is the sales tax issue a death knell for Amazon? It may be. And I think that's why you hear people say that it might make them less likely to buy something online because I still think at the end of the day the people who are more ingrained in, in their shopping behaviors online. They're probably going to stick with that for the most part. If you're going to be paying sales tax anywhere you go. Uh now what Best Buy can do from this, you know, knowledge that we have here is potentially offer out some more free shipping uh offers uh, and, and whatnot, and that might be able to sort of help boost that online traffic as well. But uh yeah, I, I think that, you know, just right. They, they can exist, they just have to do it in a smaller smaller form.
0: Let's bring in another electronics retailer and that's H. H Greg. Um which I was saying to Jeff earlier this morning, I I tend to forget that HH Greg exists until they report earnings, and then it's and then I think, oh right, they, there's that other electronics retailer, I fourth think... quarter profit down 82 percent. That's just horrible. Yes, yeah, and, so and they're and on death's front step. I was just going right. to say I, for for all the talk we've done in the past, and I think it was legitimate at the time of Best Buy being in in trouble. Now I look at HH H. Gregg as saying, well, no, I think they their number, they're, they're in the pole position in terms of electronics bricks and mortar retailers that are in trouble. And they're
1: tiny too. They have a four, <clears throat> $450 million market cap. So it could qualify as a small cap. The last thing I want to buy is a small cap electronics <laughs> retailer, one that has almost <laughs> no free cash flow, only $48 million in cash. Uh, so I, I'd certainly be worried about their size, their ability to finance growth, their ability to be competitive on price across the board uh the funny thing is they trade at a slightly higher multiple than than best buy right now
2: why is that
1: i have no idea
2: <laughs> <laughs> potentially now, for the cash they have no the books maybe? i don't know
1: uh, not much cash no. i don't want
0: to uh, rifle through your playbook jeff but i know that in the uh the services that you run shorting uh is uh, a technique that you use and i'm just wondering is hh greg a short candidate um, if not for you, just for people in general, because I I don't I've never shorted a stock before, but I look at HH Gregg H. three years ago trading at thirty dollars a share, now trading at around thirteen, mm-hmm. and I just think I I I cannot imagine that this company survives in any meaningful way on its own. I'll just say three it, years from now.
1: It, yeah, it looks like a much more viable short candidate than Best Buy yeah. ever did, and Best Buy didn't to me because it was still producing strong free cash flow. And it was priced very cheaply. And both of these stocks are have more than doubled this year, by the way. Um, so HH Greg, I, it's possible. It isn't losing quite enough money yet, despite a, an abysmal quarter, <laughs> to want to pile in and short it.
0: Uh, so profit's, a, down 80, profits down 82%. That's not enough for you. you <laughs> not enough, so. okay, if yeah. you're going to short it, you need it to be in much worse shape.
1: I mean, it, it trades at five times EBITDA, so it's in takeover category. Price-wise, price, price wise, you know, seven, eight times multiple could could attract somebody.
0: Did Brian Hinman promise you a dollar for every time you said EBITDA on this podcast?
1: No, he didn't. Oh, okay. 50 cents.
2: 50 cents. Okay. <laughs> I would say with HH, Greg, H. I, I found this in a call this morning, and th- uh, something that would concern me, and it might actually add to a short argument here. I mean, I I, I don't short anything just because I don't think your chances of losing are... seem to be greater, but, uh, you know, they are going to be chasing after customers. And one of the ways that they're going to be doing this is they're going to increase their credit offerings, whether it's leasing to own or chasing after second tier credit customers that can't get an HH credit card because their their credit score is too low, Mm -hmm. uh, that to me is well, I would call that a red flag <laughs> yeah. because now all of a sudden you know if it works out that's fine but i think that one thing we have seen over the past few years here is that uh you know there there have been a lot of uh, a lot of people with with less than stellar credit and when you start Bringing in more of those types of buyers to your store, I think that your chances of collections, uh you know, collecting on those are just going to be a little bit lower. So it could be something where they may not see something over the over the coming year from that, but it it could be a potential issue down the road if they if they have trouble collecting, uh, you know.
1: Yeah, sales. A, and what they don't what they lack. One of the best shorts I've ever had, Chris, was Movie Gallery. If you were I remember them. Movie Gallery. They outlasted somehow Blockbuster. Uh, wow, just a, by a little <laughs> bit, but. It was around 2006, 2007. They had massive amounts of debt. They were closing stores as quickly as they could, and they were still valued outrageously at $30 stock or something like that. And it ended up going to zero. Uh, from, uh, but what, what they had was a, a business that was dying, horrible debt, uh, no real way to turn it around. H.H. H. Gregg is far from dying. They don't have much debt to speak of. Um uh, they have a growth plan, and and they have products people are still walking in to buy. So it's not. David Gardner and I used to call our shorts buzzard bait. We like to go after ones that they they were if they weren't on the ground yet,
0: they were just about to hit the ground.
1: Okay. And the buzzards were circling. All so. right. So not quite there yet.
0: Uh, before we wrap up with our final story, uh want to mention again, uh, we have a special free report. It's our Top Stock of the Year, and you can get it just by emailing us. TopStock2013 at fool.com is the email address. That's TopStock2013, TopStock2013 at fool.com. Just shoot us an email. We'll fire you the report right back to you. Um, we got a question on Twitter from, uh, Spencer Seaman, who is a listener in Austin, Texas. Uh, any chance you could discuss Solar City? It's up 20, 222% since January purchase. Uh, buy, sell, or hold. Uh, and then he had the hashtag Elon Musk. I'm assuming that means he bought it in January and it's, uh, up. Two hundred twenty-two percent since then. So, so as the Aussies say, good on you, Spencer. Well, <laughs> well done. Um, it is down about ten percent today, but it's up more than three hundred percent since it first went public last December. What, wh- what is going on with this
1: stock? Yes. So we've talked about them a couple times when we mentioned Elon Musk. He has Tesla, SolarCity, City, SpaceX. Solar City, big losses, big negative free cash flow, but you would expect that right now because they're financing their customers, basically. This is as much a financial company as they are an energy company. What they do is they come to your house, they suss it out, they tell you, okay, we can put solar panels here on your roof. They design it, the the installation, they come and install it. They get the permits for you and everything, they install it, Mm -hmm. and then they start charging you in a 20-year contract for your energy. They don't charge you for any of the panels or installation or labor, anything, Just, you sign a 20 year energy contract and you pay for your energy that way. Now, typically, what's beautiful about this is your energy bill goes down, so you're paying less and uh, you didn't pay anything out of pocket. So it's a a great business model for everybody. Everybody wins. I I love it. So
0: they, wait a minute, they do all of the work up front and I don't get paid, I I don't get charged a dime for that? You don't. You,
1: You don't, all you do is you sign a 20 year contract and you pay them monthly your energy bill just like you do now yeah uh except you're not paying it to pepco or whomever you're paying it to solar <laughs> city and you also have a chance if your solar panels create enough energy you can feed it back onto the grid and get credits that way uh so it's a, it's everybody wins as long as everything stays status quo which is as long as regulations and tax incentives and this uh uh, net metering limits, which is where you can share power with the grid, as long as those stay in place and and current energy well, prices stay gosh, where they gosh, what are. are the chances that taxes will change in the next 20 years? They will change, <laughs> of course. <laughs> right now you get like a, a 30% tax rebate when a system is installed. That's going to drop down to 10% in 2017. And then net me- metering, is it allows you to share your energy back with the utility grid and get paid for it. There are caps on that. In California, it was 2.5% of all the energy could be net metered. Now it's up to 5%, but it's hitting that limit again. If they don't raise it, then new customers won't get the same benefits. So when I looked at the company originally, these are the things that concern me, the regulatory risk, the tax risk, yeah. the and the metering risks, because it's an economic decision for customers. They're making money. They're paying lower energy bills as long as everything is as it is right now. But if any of these things change, they may not see much cost benefit at all to installing these panels up on their up Don't forget the unforeseen
2: roof. extended periods of darkness. I mean, that's got to be one of the biggest risks here, right? I mean,
0: when the machines rise and, if, uh, <laughs> and the matrix happens. What if an
2: eclipse gets
0: stuck? <laughs> so, But I would encourage listeners
1: to check them out. They're, they're in 14 states and growing. You can go on their website, which is about as friendly as, you
0: know... Uh, I don't know. A solar <laughs> energy website can be?
1: No, like a Mickey Mouse <laughs> website. Really? Says, Where do you live? Put your address in. Okay, what do you want? And we'll come we'll come see your house now. So, um,
2: I'll would, offer a couple of points here, just because okay. I agree with Jeff Toth. Totally. I think this is really a great win-win situation for everybody. And as a consumer, oh, yeah, you really have to, to look, the look the at The stock, stock price. No, Ian, the <laughs> stock yeah, price Billy, is It's that. had a great <laughs> year. And, and congratulations, Spencer, for it. sounds like you've just made a killing here. And I, Depending on how much uh this this takes up uh in your portfolio it's it's hard to say whether to to, you know, sell it or hold it or whatever. I mean, I, I tend to think that these are the kind of companies you want to hold for really long periods of time. I certainly would never bet against Elon Musk. He owns 27% of this company, and uh, the guy has just proven to to not give up. He's a very tenacious, uh, innovative guy. Uh, one thing just to keep in mind, uh, that there is a lockup period, because this is a relatively new IPO, uh-huh. that in June next month, actually, there will be a lockup period that expires, and there will be about 62 million shares that become eligible for sale. Okay. So you potentially, it's not a definite, but you potentially potentially could see some selling pressure on the stock if those, if those shares come available for sale and people decide to sell them and take some of the profits. Uh, so that's just something to keep in, in, in mind for for the short run. But I, I do think for the long run, it's a, an interesting company. I, I love Musk's innovation and dedication, and it's certainly one to, to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, it's a very asset-like company, which we love, too. They don't make any of these panels. They buy them from multiple manufacturers so they can negotiate the best price and best quality. And so they're they're basically they still own the system when they put it on your house too. Okay. And they're leasing the power. They're leasing the power that it generates to you.
0: So let me channel our colleague Ron Gross, who says that every diversified portfolio needs to have some type of energy exposure in it. If you are inclined to look at alternative energy and to look at uh, solar energy in this case, wh- why solar city and not a for solar, a sun power, is it? How much of it is tied up in Elon Musk?
1: Well, the first time we talked about Solar City on on this show, it was seventeen bucks a share, and we were talking about Tesla, Chris, and we said, right. "Well, if you like Tesla, take a look at Solar City," because we talked about the market value. It was it was about a one billion dollar market cap, and the ceiling, arguably, we said, was much higher than that. In five ten years, it could be you know maybe a five billion dollar company, and So as a speculation, it looked interesting. Now it's worth, and I don't have it in front of me, but it's tripled. I I was going to say,
0: it's, it's trading in the mid forties. So I mean, I think it's a
1: three to four billion dollar company now. And it, as we said, it continues to have very large losses. It's very hard to model what sort of money they'll make anytime soon because they, they run such a a deficit. Uh, Basically, they're raising money and then spending it on solar systems that they then lease out for 20 years. They've raised 1.7 billion so far in, twenty four different financing funds they just raised last week five hundred million from Goldman Sachs <clears throat> on top of that, and that 's what got investors excited again so they 're spending all this money on solar panels, and eventually they need to bring enough in and recurring monthly revenue to offset the costs and, and become profitable but anyway, at three to four billion dollar market cap it 's not nearly as attractive as one billion right. <laughs> If it's a small part of your portfolio, as Jason said, and you want to own it for five, ten years, you know, that it's a rule breaker type of thing to own.
0: Well, and back to Spencer's question when he's thinking about, you know, should I, you know, buy, sell, or hold this? I mean, we, we talked I, recently <laughs> about the tax implications, and if he bought it in January, then he's obviously <laughs> half a year away yeah, he's, he's still from short, getting significant uh, uh, tax benefits. And
2: I, I mean, that's where I would probably, I mean, again, unless he's way overweight. And I mean, if you're way overweight in something like this, then it probably would make sense to maybe pair back that position a little bit just for diversity's sake. Uh, but, you know, I mean, there are a lot of things that this business has that are very attractive. I mean, they don't get, they don't get stuck in that lowest cost provider wins game of the solar panel producers. I mean, there are some switching costs involved. I mean, once you get someone with that system on their house, I mean, they're, they're, they're not going to be just up and switching two, three years down the road to another provider, most likely. So there are switching costs involved there too. Uh, and, and just that, that long-term relationship. And so if they can continue to be a service-oriented company and really bring, you know, 100% A, great A customer service, uh, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's a really interesting story. I yeah, look forward to watching it, it play out. It could be
1: great, yeah. a, a great long-term annuity Absolutely. type of business, but he has to be prepared. It could do a round trip. It could be back at 20 in three months, and then who knows where from there. That's what makes this stuff fun. That's right.
0: (laughs) All right, Jason Moser, Jeff Fisher. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market MarketFoolery. Our producer is Matt Greer, back in the saddle after being out with a sick bug. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.